electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, David Rubenstein, a special interview with the founder of the Carlyle Group and billionaire investor. Inflation is higher than the Fed would like it and higher than you and I would like it, but I don't think we're going to the 1970s again. I think it's a temporary problem. How long inflation will last, what the markets are worried about, and how crypto fits into it all. Crypto, though, is here to stay. I don't think people are going to use it only as a proxy for inflation. I think they just see it as a different way to make an investment decision. We've got that big interview, plus a high-stakes video chat between President Biden and President Xi, CNBC's Kayla Tausche. The administration has been clear that it is seeking a sort of reset in China policy. It won't use that word. Those stories and talking turkey today on the podcast. It's Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. The price of cryptocurrency is plunging. No clear catalyst on this. Of course, we can say the same thing a lot of days that it's up. Maybe it's just that it's Tuesday. Bitcoin tumbling back near 60,000. Right now, you see it uh, down at around those levels. You've also got Ether down as well. And some other major coins also falling pretty sharply. Uh, You can take a look across the board. Bitcoin off by 5.5% right now. Ether down by 6%. Six and a half percent. Litecoin off by ten and a half percent. It's the biggest decliner of that board. Um, we'll continue to keep an eye on this, Joe. Yeah. I used to know all the gold coins. I, you know, I, I don't know about Krugerrands anymore. Maple Leafs. So I would say uh, uh, those coins are not falling uh, today. And in fact, um, the the fifty-two week high and low on gold it was I don't remember it was as low as sixteen seventy-two, and it's been to nineteen sixty-two. Yeah. Gold. Uh, but but it's, uh, the it's last still like month break even for the for the year, well, the last month, it's up and it's up about from about 1750. And it, it reminds me of the, the size of the move. It, it reminds me of the 10, you know, OK, the, the 10 years back to one six mm-hmm. because of those inflation numbers last week. And we got a similar sort of a anticipatory move in gold and the ten, that, that you are seeing some effect there. But and you can hear people thinking transitory. Janet Yellen says it's transitory. Other people say, it's, is it transitory? Is it, in, in these small moves, it's almost like people are maybe setting themselves up for what might be more than just a transitory move in inflation. Well, Larry Summers and, has, has had some really strong comments about this, too. I don't know if you, you saw what he said yesterday. He said, look, inflation is here. The Fed needs to act immediately. Um, and stop the purchases. And if they don't, inflation very likely is going to set it up so that Donald Trump comes right back in. Um, We'll see about Powell, too. Yesterday, there was some word that maybe some senators would be alerted pretty soon about what the decision was going to be. That's going to be near term. Jeez, you know, he 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 gets pummeled by a lot of people that and he seems I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Woman uh, as Fed chair. um, 
Leo Brainerd, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And not a Republican. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. I was reading there's a piece in the journal today about, <laughs> I love it, the, uh, the nominee for control of the currency, which we've talked about a lot. The, 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 the individual went to Moscow State University with Leesman. Uh, I, I think they were uh, undergraduate. Steve did not go there. Steve actually. did not, no. But uh, Ms. Omarova did go there. And I don't know if you saw the journal. It's kind of interesting. She, in this case, it had to do with restructuring companies that are in the wrong business and that the government really needs to be involved with what type of companies they end up. And, and the journal points out at least she's honest about, about what, um, what she would propose. But I don't know. What do you think? I mean, what do you what do you give it? For? Look, I, would Steve, th- I would think Powell was a shoe in 95 percent. And I don't think it's 95 percent. It's, it's I not. Think it's yesterday, about 60. Saw, yeah. Yesterday, you saw an eight cent move yesterday on on, predicted? The, on on the things that were predicting it. Yeah, I'm predicted. It was up eight cents for Leo Brainerd, down eight cents for Powell. It's closer to a 60 40. Um, yes. Split they, at oh, this I point. felt that. I didn't even look at predicted. Yeah. But that's what, yeah. And and and. And, and we'll see. Look, they, we've talked about this all along. How much of this is, is Biden going to feel like he has to appease progressives on this? How much of this is he going to feel like, I haven't given you on other things. This is part of the horse trading that takes place I in mean, politics. I mean, Jay Powell politics has definitely to say, plays a role. what more could I have done for you? Yes. How much and, more could I have and done? And the Treasury I, Secretary Janet Yellen says he's done a great job, but she changed her well, tune over the weekend. a great job, but he's been in, he's said, enabled everything that, that the Biden administration has wanted to do. I mean, he couldn't have done anymore. If they, if they, you know, they don't, after all Elizabeth he's done, if they Warren, don't, that's, un, that's, un, that's ingratitude. I mean, he's ruined his, 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 his reputation among right wing among conservatives that would like him to take the punch bowl away. He did what needed to be done during the pandemic. But yes, I think if given his druthers, maybe if he wasn't up for this position right now, he would have moved a little more quickly. I think that is what's playing on people is would he compromise his own conservative bona fides. Uh, I'm all in favor of what he's done to this point to try and see if he can get another another term on this, too. Um, When you listen to him, I listen to his press conferences and I feel pretty confident in what he's saying with these things. When he goes through, he understands the markets. He understands how these things work out. The um, Republican, but but what Steve is welcome. Yeah, I know. But what Steve has pointed out is, Lael Brainerd has has voted with him on every one of the policy moves right. he's made. Just not with some of the enforcement. He'll probably things. get renominated. He'll probably. We're, we're going to find out very soon. Yeah, he'll probably get renominated. Next time, I hope we get to do it face to face like we used to when we travel through China. President Biden and President Xi holding a one on one summit in the face of rising tensions over trade, COVID, Taiwan and human rights. Kayla Tasha joins us now with the details of the meeting. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning, Joe. The two leaders and their top officials held a two-part meeting with a brief intermission that lasted three and a half hours and served to diffuse tensions between the world's two largest economies. Good to see you, Mr. President and your colleagues. It's the first time for us to meet virtually. The beginning, open to the media, showed President Xi on a televised monitor as President Biden spoke first of the need for honesty and candor, and President Xi calling for increased cooperation. I think it's important we communicate honestly and directly to one another about our priorities and our intentions. 
The White House said the conversation covered human rights abuses in Xinjiang, Tibet, and Hong Kong, and included an extended discussion to clarify each side's posture toward Taiwan, where tensions have been rising. A senior administration official says the president was very clear about the need to maintain the status quo in the Taiwan Strait, and that the U.S. reiterated its commitment to the one-China policy that acknowledges Taiwan is part of China. Biden underscored the importance for China to fulfill phase one trade goals. The official saying that Beijing has a different view on many of the issues and had asked to remove some tariffs. Now, she referred to Biden as his old friend, but declined to raise the issue of the forthcoming Winter Olympics after Chinese officials had canvassed foreign policy experts in recent days on whether President Biden would likely accept such an invitation, and they were told no. To be sure, the two did commit to an in-person future meeting at some to-be-determined date and time, but it is unclear still when that would take place. The senior administration official said the White House was not expecting a breakthrough in last night's meeting and that there are none to report, Joe. Well, myriad issues, Kayla. I think it, it, we've, we're in a different place than a couple of years ago with all the trade issues, trade-focused issues. We still, those are still in the background, though, though aren't they? Talking about steel dumping again. I mean, those are all around, but it seems like we've got a, a, a whole raft of, of new concerns, uh, some of them even scarier than trade. Taiwan, for example. Yeah, it, it almost seems, Joe, like the outsized focus on trade during the prior administration dwarfs some of these other foreign policy and geopolitical and military issues that are cropping up now. Or perhaps it's just the fact that um, there is sort of a status quo on trade. And so therefore, all of these issues are trying to uh, sort of bleed together. I will say the administration has been clear that it is seeking a sort of reset in China policy. It won't use that word, uh, but it's saying that unlike the previous administration, it is not trying to change China's behavior bilaterally. And that's sort of an important point. And that was one that was received, uh, the senior administration official said, was received well by China in last night's call. But that instead, they're trying to approach China from the world stage with partners and allies overseas to just understand that China's going to behave the way it will, but it needs to uh, abide by rules that exist for all countries and economies on the world stage. And so that is that is the new dynamic between these conversations and these relationships. And we'll see how that evolves differently than what we saw previously. Hey, Kayla, have you anyone talking about we got a lot of things to think about about Russia? And uh, I mean, so many things happened just in the last couple of days. They're testing new weapons with debris out in space and the, the ISS astronauts need to take uh, shelter. Then you got uh, a, a troop buildup on Ukraine. You're busy, aren't you? You hearing about all these things? Should I be scared? How, yes, how are you sleeping? <laughs> well, not that much, but that's probably also because I have a six and a half month old. That might be why. Um, but yes, then. These are questions that the White House and the National Security Council, the State Department, get on a regular basis. And those reports about uh, the Russian missile and some of the debris that is reportedly going to be flying around in space at risk to human life for the uh, foreseeable future. Uh, these are, of course, things that are, are going to be top of mind for the administration going forward. How they respond is another issue. Uh, I will say one issue, though, Joe, as we're talking about some of these uh, these global issues is Iran did come up and, and they uh, the two countries traded notes on how to approach the nuclear talks, which are going to be uh, apparently resuming in the next few weeks. All right. They're telling me I talked too long, uh, Kayla. I've, I haven't heard that before, but uh, <laughs> thank you. Good to see you. You haven't heard that, that before the last three minutes? Yeah, you've heard it before, too. Yeah. Okay.
Tyson Foods reported a jump in sales after it sharply raised prices for its beef, chicken and pork in the most recent quarter. Tyson said its logistics expenses climbed by 30 percent and it's also paying more for both labor and feed grain. The company hiked prices in response. In the most recent quarter, Tyson's average beef price rose by nearly a third compared to last year. Chicken prices were up by 19 percent and pork prices were up by 38 percent. And, Joe, that's even steeper than we've seen in the consumer price inflation data when you're looking at things like chicken prices, eggs, some, some things along those lines. But I think this is going to be where it's really interesting, like where Home Depot kicks in, what we find with Walmart, then Target and Lowe's tomorrow is where do the prices get passed on? Where do they not? That's what it all comes down to is which stocks do you buy based on which ones can manage their margins, which ones are able to find the pricing power, either pass it on or push it back to the supplier. Nothing about Turkey in, in, in all those statistics? I, Nothing I would think that I that, saw. Oh, well, that's what we need to know. How I'll go look is. it up for you. Let me see what I find. I was pitched an interview on, on um, the... The worst thing. foods? No, the for worst food. Yeah. I, I just saw that? the same thing. I just read it. Did you Cranberry read it? Cranberry sauce is the worst. Yes. Mashed potatoes, Mashed potatoes aren't potatoes good because they have starch and the sugar. Turkey's good. We have Strong obviously tea. the same interest. I read that same thing in the last commercial break. I know I, know I could count on you. And I was going to write back and say, this is so not important, but I know every factoid now, and so do you. I thought about, you know what? Just because it's just such a funny thing to think about, I thought maybe we'll have this guy on to talk about the best <laughs> Thanksgiving Day foods for your teeth. Well, clearly, hey, teeth are important. Don't tell, don't tell the best food. Don't give that away because I just gave away the worst. Teeth are important, Becky. They I, are. I, I don't. I think it's something that, that, that has some potential for a possible segment. I really do. It probably. You know clearly, what? we're both suckers. This is like the clickbait that we today both show. On. I, I'm sure today show has already got a book. Next on Squawk Pod, inflation, inflation, inflation. Oh, and the Fed. Carlisle's David Rubenstein on what he and the markets are really concerned about. Right now, I would say that the market is focused probably more on who's going to be the next chairman of the Fed. But if gold prices were higher than they are now, I think the market would be reflecting the fact that there's more greater concern about inflation. An extended interview with a famed billionaire investor. Hey, he worked in the Carter administration as well. He wears a lot of hats. It's right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Up track, stand Joe by. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site uh, in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. Andrew's off. With inflation at its highest level in 30 years, pressure is building on the Fed to respond. And there are some calls out there to pick up the pace of the taper. 
For more on this, let's welcome David Rubenstein. He's the Carlyle Group co-founder and co-chairman. And David, it's always good to see you. And I've been particularly eager to ask you about inflation this time around because people are comparing this to the 1970s. And, you know, you would know of this. You, you actually worked in the Carter administration. You've been in Washington ever since. What do you think of the inflation you see right now? And could it be reminiscent of what we saw in the 70s? What we had in the 1970s was inflation of double-digit levels, and it went on for quite some time. It actually started in the Ford administration, continued through the Carter administration, and it was at a level that went on for years. Uh, we don't really have that now, in my view. Uh, we have something that's caused uh, inflation to rise above the normal 2 to 3% we've been having, and that's been the supply chain problems. We have enormous supply chain problems because during COVID, many manufacturers reduced their production expectations. And therefore, now that demand uh, has continued and increased, uh, people have not been able to supply the demand. And therefore, there have been supply chain problems. I think they're more temporary, as the Fed probably thinks as well, as does the Treasury. So I think we'll probably have inflation above the target of 2% or 2.5% or so for a while. But I don't see double-digit inflation. I don't see 6% being sustained either. I don't think the markets do either. The markets are not reacting as if they expect 6% inflation for a long time. Larry Summers has been pretty outspoken about this for a while. He thinks that the Fed is way behind um, behind where they should be with this and wants them to move immediately on it. He also said yesterday that if you see inflation like this continue, it's going to get Donald Trump reelected. Well, Larry Summers is a very smart person, so I'm not uh, the econ- economics expert that he is. Let me just give you my own view. I think that inflation is not likely to be as enduring as we saw during the Carter years. I think it's more temporary. But remember, uh, when you went to college and I went to college, the standard textbook said that inflation was probably annualized at around 3 or 4% normal. Uh, we've been used to 2% inflation for the last 10 years or so or more. And so we've gotten used to 2% inflation, 3% or 4% seems high. It's not all that high compared to standards we've had over 50 years or so. I think we'll probably be settling around 2 or 3%. I don't think it's an un- un- undue problem, but it's obviously higher than some people would like. And I would prefer to have lower inflation as well. You make the point that the market isn't phased by any of this, and it sure doesn't seem to be. We got numbers today from both Walmart and Home Depot, and they seem to be managing pretty well with the higher cost. It doesn't necessarily look like they're pushing too much onto the consumers. They're probably pushing back more on their suppliers on some of these things. How do you kind of look around the investing world and figure out who gets hurt by the higher inflation, what gets passed on to consumers, which stocks you like as a result? Well, of course, you don't assume that inflation is going to be enduring at, for at 6% or so for a long time. So we take it into account when you're making investment decisions. And obviously, when you're dealing with consumer-related products, it's sometimes uh, harder to pass along those, those increases that you might want to have for, for a uh, long period of time. But right now, I would say that the market is focused probably more on who's going to be the next chairman of the Fed and where, where that's going to come out. And when that comes out, I think the markets will settle down a bit. I don't think the markets are unduly concerned about inflation, that you have some concerns. But if gold prices were higher uh, than they are now, I think the market would be reflecting the fact that there's more great, greater concern about inflation. Gold prices are not, are not at an all-time high. They're higher than they were a little while ago, but they're not at the all-time high they were last year. What about and crypto? So I think the market, I'm sorry? And what about crypto? I mean, it, it, crypto prices have skyrocketed, and some people think that that's the new proxy for inflation instead of gold. It's a proxy for some people. For some people, it's just a way to change their investment habits a bit. I think crypto is an attractive uh, investment for some people. I don't think it's going to um, uh, destabilize the economy. I think we could use more regulation of what goes on in crypto. Crypto, though, is here to stay. I don't think 
people are going to use it only as a proxy for inflation. I think they just see it as a different way to um, make an investment decision and to put some of their money into something slightly different than the traditional kinds of investments. You make the point that the market's probably more focused on who the next Fed chairman is going to be, and I, I think that's probably right. Um, Jay Powell had been seen as a shoe in for how he handled the pandemic, how he's been doing since then. But if you looked at Predict It this morning, it has him with 67 cents to Jay Powell and 34 cents to Leo Brainerd. Um, that's certainly the signaling we've been watching over the last week. You are an expert at kind of reading these signals. What do you think of what the administration is doing right now? Who do you think it ultimately will be? Well, remember, it's one thing to pick somebody. It's another person thing to get somebody confirmed. Um, it's very difficult to think that anybody other than Jay Powell can be readily confirmed, in my view. Uh, Jay Powell is well regarded on Capitol Hill. He spent more time on Capitol Hill than probably any other Fed chair we've had in recent memory. He's well liked there. And the Democrats only have 51 votes in the Senate. Um, I think it may be difficult to get um, many, if any, Republican votes for the president's choice uh, other than Jay Powell. And therefore, um, I think Lael Brenner is a very talented person and she may well be selected. But I think uh, Jay Powell will offer the market certainty that he will be confirmed and therefore we won't have a long, drawn out fight. Oh, thank Hey, David, I, the, I don't know if you still you still read the Wall Street Journal. You mostly just I do. A, no, you do. OK, good. No, no, your enemy a little bit. But, but um, Milton Friedman laughs last. Uh, and it just goes into not just supply chain, but M2 growth. And, and uh, the, the journal points out inflation is nowhere near the levels of, of uh, the Jimmy Carter years. But then um, Bill McGurn does go over a lot of parallels that are starting to look eerily similar and that it, it, it probably somewhere between the fears of people that, that we're going to revisit those years and people that say it's just transitory and out of this administration's control. You attach any merit to that? You remember uh, Joe Biden at one point said uh, Milton Friedman isn't running the show anymore is what Biden uh, was a weird thing. The journal points out to say about some guy who's been dead for 15 years. Uh, but uh, that was his uh, Mr. President Biden's shorthand for, you know, his preference for big government and sort of come what may in terms of inflation. The 1970s were a completely different period of time. The U.S. was more insulated as an economy. Uh, about 25 percent of our workforce was unionized today. It's about half that. We were very dependent on OPEC prices then. We're not as dependent on OPEC prices now. Uh, so kind of hard, David. <laughs> we're a lot more dependent than we were last year or a year before not as, on, op not as on dependent OPEC. As, not as dependent as we were in the 1970s when we really didn't produce very we much oil compared there. to what we're doing today. How so, about M2 yeah, growth, though? How about M2 growth and just, just looking at what what a pure monetarist would, would say about what causes inflation. It's there, the possibility, the potential. Inflation is higher than the Fed would like it and higher than you and I would like it. But I don't think we're going to the 1970s again, in part because the United States economy is much more diversified than it was then. We're not as dependent on uh, foreign oil as we were then. And also, uh, we, we are not as heavily unionized as we were then. And while that's not a bad factor in some respects, unionization is not a bad thing. I, I do think it does have an impact on, on inflation. So overall, I think it's a different situation. But remember, we had 2% inflation for a long period of time. We're slightly above that now. Um, I don't expect we're going to have sustained inflation of 6% or so. So I, I think it's a temporary problem, but it's not, a, it's not something to, to sneeze at. I do think we should uh, pay attention to it, but I don't think it's 1970s all over again. I don't see that at all. 
When you say temporary, what, what are you talking about? I mean, we've, we've I heard it. Say, could... I would say I would expect I would expect it will be going down from where it is in the latest numbers over the next several months or so. And I would expect six months from now or nine months from now, we'll have inflation at a level that's much closer to where the Fed would like it to be. Are, are the critics who say the Fed is behind on where they should be with the taper correct? I mean, when you look at the purchases that are continuing, it's not even like we're standing pat. We are continuing to buy even as these numbers go up. What's, what would be the problem in suspending the purchases immediately? Well, the Fed is, um, I think, trying to make certain that the COVID is under control and therefore the effects of COVID are, are not with us anymore. And right now, COVID has not been completely er- eradicated. Uh, we still have a large percentage of the population that hasn't been vaccinated and may not be vaccinated. And therefore, the economy is not operating as fully as we would like it to be. So the Fed is trying to balance that. But the Fed has said it's going to be reducing, if not eliminating, its Fed its bond purchases. And I expect that we're doing that uh, relatively soon. But I don't think it's likely to increase interest rates anytime soon. But again, just the, the tapering. I mean, it, let's say that you and others who think that this is going to be transitory and temp- temporary are wrong. What would be the problem in halting purchases sooner rather than later, just to make sure that you're not further and further behind the eight ball? Well, the Fed hasn't announced exactly when it's going to uh, do the tapering, and, and it doesn't tend to do, announce every day what they're doing. I suspect there is some tapering that's going to be occurring in the near future. I think the Fed is also trying to figure out what's going to happen on Capitol Hill, because if the uh, legislation passes, uh, the so-called soft infrastructure legislation passes, Uh, that will have some impact on the economy in terms of stimulating it or not stimulating it. And I think the Fed wants to make sure it knows what's going on with that legislation. It would probably have an inflationary impact, right? You give people more money, you are injecting more money directly into the economy, and that could be pretty inflationary itself. If it's not paid for, uh, yes. And the question is how much of it is really going to be paid for. And we don't know yet because we haven't really seen the details of what tax increases are going to occur and how it will be paid for. That's something that the Fed and everybody wants to see. You think there will be dynamic scoring on this? You think there will be tricks, as as Joe Manchin has said? I think the dynamic scoring is something the Republicans invented years ago uh, during the Reagan tax cuts. And I think uh, the Democrats will probably use some of it, though Joe Manchin has said he doesn't really want to have dynamic scoring. But it's hard to know exactly uh, what the impact is going to be in terms of uh, revenues. Remember, what you're doing is you're predicting uh, revenues coming in over a 10 year period of time. It's very difficult to do that. No corporation runs itself by predicting what it's going to be doing in 10 years down the road. The federal government, for reasons I could explain, has 10-year budgeting in effect, and it makes it easier to, um, in effect, cut taxes and increase spending in many ways because you can say in the out years you're going to catch it up, catch up with it, but it often doesn't happen. Well, especially if you, you end some of these programs after two or three or four years instead of after 10 years. I mean, that, I think, is what he's specifically talking about. Well, what happens often is that the country will say or the Congress will say, let's have a program for one or two years. And therefore, over a 10 year budget period, it doesn't seem like it's costing that much. But, you know, it's very difficult after two years to end that program. So it most likely will continue. And so sometimes there are games played about how the uh, how long these programs are really going to last. Uh, For example, in the bill that's now in front of Congress, some of the uh, spending programs are designed to last only one or two years. It's very difficult to cut them. So most likely they will be state that will stay in, in effect, but uh, we'll have to pay for them later. So Manchin is right in his concern and his criticism that, that this is games that are being played with the numbers because you're talking about revenue over 10 years and a program only over one year that, you know, or you expect or hope is going to continue. That's that's been true of Democrats and Republicans and everyone plays these games. I think we'd be better not to have 10 year budgeting 
Uh, right now, uh, we really play these games of 10-year budgeting, project, projecting what 10 years is going to happen down the road is just impossible. And so I would be, think we'd be better off to have, you know, two or three-year budgeting, which is more realistic. So the money, the, so it's paid for. I mean, David, the, the money comes out of the private sector one way or another. I mean, that's the other thing that, that's in this Milton Friedman piece that he also said there's no free lunches. You really use that term that it, it's OK because it's paid for. It's not paid for with any carried interest. Would that be OK with you? Well, Whatever Congress wants to do, I'm going to live with, right? So uh, if Congress wants to change but the law, really, I don't make the laws. You say it's, it's paid for. So it, 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 we don't need to worry about the effect on corporate taxation or, or the effect on the private sector. That, that all these, this huge expansion of government and, and, and everything else, that, that doesn't concern you at all. You're on board with this. Well, I'm obviously concerned about undue expansion of government when it's not necessary. Um, I'm sure you are as well. But I, I do think that we, we ought to figure out exactly what's in this bill before we really know whether it's good or bad. And I think while the bill has some positive features, we're going to make sure it's, quote, paid for, paid for by making certain that we either get it, getting tax revenues or doing other things to bring uh, the, the, the spending into balance a bit. I think right now, though, we should recognize that this is a 10-year bill. Over the next 10 years, you're going to spend roughly $65 trillion in the federal budget, $65 trillion. So this is about $1.4 trillion to $1.7 trillion. So it's about 1% to 2% of the, what the federal budget will be over the next 10 years. So it's not that dramatic, uh, despite okay, all the, but the, the it, numbers. It, it will put our marginal rate, the highest combined federal and, and state, uh, it, it will be the highest in the world by 2026, higher than... Second is Denmark, then Japan, France, Austria, Greece, Canada, Portugal, Belgium, Sweden, Finland, Israel. So absolute top statutory rate for taxes. Is, is that a good idea for the United States? Well, the, when you're looking at the statutory rate and you're, you're not taking into account exemptions and other deductions that are available, it's misleading. There aren't many of those left. There aren't many of those left. It, it, it includes all that, David. It's going to be the highest in the world. Is that, do you think that's a good idea to expand government? Will it be worth it? Nobody wants to have the highest tax rate in the world. I suspect uh, we are not going to win that record. Uh, there are many countries in the world that are going to have a higher tax rate than us. And the statutory rate as stated, is not actually the rate that people pay, as you know. Hey, David, thanks for your time today. Uh, it's good talking you. to you, and, and we'll see you back here again soon. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
Okay, that's it. That's Squawk Pod for this Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Our TV show airs weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern, but you can listen to this podcast anytime for free wherever you download podcasts. Thoughts, comments, send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC, or you can rate and review Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners discover what we're doing. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.